I really love what you just saw up there. Uh, we call that a bumper video. I think this was extremely effective because you, you've got the weight of that concrete and you've got that little crack which this plant can push its way through. And in, in Peter's day, if you're our guest today, we're studying the book of 1 Peter. In Peter's day, there was all kinds of pressure and persecution on Christians, but when that plant would burst forth, it would change the world. And today, we feel the same thing. There's so much pressure in our culture for us to conform, especially around some of the topics that we look at today, around gender and marriage and sex. And for us to be a light in the middle of that can be world-changing in the middle of this hostility. Now, we're going to 1 Peter chapter 3 today. One thing I love about preaching through a text is it makes you preach on things you might not preach on otherwise. And 1 Peter will introduce us to these topics in a very powerful way. Let's start in verse 1. Likewise, remember that word likewise. That's going to be important for our study today. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. So even if some do not obey the word, they may be won over without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be hidden, the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. I don't know if you noticed there, but right off the bat, he's addressing some of the issues of our day. We're a little uncomfortable with two words there. When Peter calls the woman the weaker vessel, now what's he saying there? He's saying there's a difference between gender. That, that man and woman were created differently. No matter what you do to your body or what medicines you take, if you are born as a man, you're going to have the XY chromosome. If you're born as a woman, it's going to be the XX chromosome. You can't do away with that. And, and what Peter's saying is not only there, you know, those kind of differences within our body, there's also differences physically. Don't, don't be offended by this, but women were created to have broader hips so that they could carry children and birth children. Men were born with broader shoulders to protect and to provide. And, and so Paul's, or Peter's saying right here from the, different, from the beginning, there's a difference. Now, we know in the culture we live today, we're being told there's not a difference. I, I, I can't help but laugh or cry when I hear someone like I heard say the other day is, you know, when a child, baby is born, they're assigned a gender. They're assigned. Like a doctor looks and said, heads or tails, male or female, let's do that. We know you can look at the way your body was made. And guys, what's happened in our culture is what shifted all this is we've gone away from believing that the body that was made, the body God made, says something to we've gone to a feeling ethic that says everything is based on how you feel. 
And, and that, that applies across the board. And so if you feel something, you must be that. And so Peter says right off the bat here, there are differences. Now, I was reading a book this week that addressed this in a very direct way. A great preacher named David Young wrote these words. I want you to hear these. And, and the way they're going to term what's happening in our culture is a term called progressivism, okay? Here he goes. Progressivism sees sex, gender, and marriage as malleable to be shaped by the lust and desires of the given person. That's the feeling ethic. Whatever I feel says who I am and absolutely what I can do. Because sex is such an important part of secular values, progressivism simply cannot tolerate any disagreements in the area of sex, gender, and marriage. Christian positions must be censored and Christians must be silent. That's the concrete we feel over us. You're not supposed to say this. But I must say this morning, these topics are very difficult to talk about, and yet I believe they're essential for us to talk about. And I'll just confess to you, I don't really enjoy talking about these topics. But I feel like I must. Now, why don't I lie? Because they, they make me extremely sad. I mean, you see what's happening in our culture, in this movement, and then you see the results, basically, of the destruction of the home. It makes you really, really sad. Also, when I address these things, I feel a great burden to be extremely sensitive because these are real issues people deal with. I believe same-sex attraction is a real thing, and, and people don't ask to deal with that, but they must deal with that. I believe gender dysphoria can be a real thing, that people can be confused about their gender. And so if anyone in this room today is struggling with those things, I'm not trying to come down on you. I'm trying to come to you like I come to me or any of us about whatever sin issues we may have is that we've got to deal with them in a biblical way. And so I want to be very sensitive. But on the other hand, I think this is so important. Our children are being raised in incredible confusion. Children are undergoing surgical procedures that are irreversible and taking terrible drugs. This is also important because if you pay attention to what's going on in churches in America, these topics are sort of the dividing line. Whether a church is actually going to maintain an orthodox biblical theology in view of Scripture or whether we can go down a different road that in the long run says everything's okay. And I think these are very important for us to address because of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ believes no one is beyond help. No one. We've seen people in this church who come to our church married in a same-sex relationship, come to Christ, baptize, and split up that marriage because of the power of Jesus Christ. So today, let's look at the strongest answer that we can come up with in our culture, and that is harmony in the home. Because the best way for us to combat what's going on in culture is that we must rise up and be different, and they've got to see that in a positive way. That's what happened when Peter wrote this book. We think all of this is new. Roman culture was the most sexualized culture in the world. Same sex, extra sex, you name it, it all went on in Roman culture. And what happened is that the church came, and within 200 years, the culture had become Christians because guess what? They dealt with abortion back then, and babies were thrown in the woods, and the Christians would go get those babies and bring them into their homes and raise them. The Christians began to value women. You see, in Roman culture, sounds like today, women were just objects, just sexual objects. And they could be treated anyway. 
There was very little healthy marriages where spouses treated each other as equals, where spouses loved each other and cherished each other. And yet Christians came in the middle of this and they built marriages that, that showed something different where, where both were respected in their different roles. And again, like I said a moment ago, within 200 years, Roman culture become predominantly Christian because people were willing to live differently. So let's, let's be challenged this morning about our marriages. We can throw rocks all we want, but the biggest and best thing we can do is build marriages that people go, that's the way life's supposed to look. What's the solid foundation for marriage? I mentioned that word likewise to you when we read the text. Uh, some translations don't say likewise. They say in the same manner. You say, buddy, what's the big deal about that? The likewise, the in the same manner is referring to Jesus. If you read back in chapter 2, it's the way Jesus lived in submission to his father, the way Jesus obeyed his father, and he's going, likewise in marriages. Women, you need to act like Jesus. Men, you need to act like Jesus. You see, we've got a dilemma, most of us, when it comes to marriage. I cannot fully love my spouse until I sense that I am fully loved. You see, here's what happens, guys. Most of us think we're going to find this one person that's going to meet every one of our needs. That person does not exist. That's way too much pressure on a marriage. And and so we're going thinking, this person's going to meet my needs. And we get in marriage. It's like one book says, it's like two bankrupt businessmen trying to start a business. They can't. And I'm looking for my wife to provide all my needs. And when she doesn't, I'm, I'm upset. And she's looking for me to provide all her needs. And when I don't, she's upset. And it leads to great tension. Now, here's the answer. The answer is Jesus Christ. The answer is your relationship with Jesus. Because here's God's idea of marriage. I must understand I am fully loved. I'm secure and I'm significant because of my relationship with Jesus. And my wife must feel the same way. And out of that, we can love each other even on the days we don't feel like it. We're not waiting on the other to behave till we behave. We do it out of our relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what builds a healthy marriage. So let me tell you, if you're married today, the best thing you could do for your marriage, the best thing you could do is to improve your relationship with Jesus. That's where it would start. And if you're not married and you're wanting to get married one day, the best thing you could do to prepare for marriage would be to build a great relationship with Jesus. I, got, I ate lunch with my buddy Dylan Swindle this week, and he was telling me about a time he had at the big M- impact rally in Nashville. And uh, he asked a youth minister, he said, what's, what's your best philosophy about dating? Not that Dylan wants to date anybody or anything, but he wanted to know, well, what, what do you, you say about dating? How do I prepare myself? I love what David Skidmore said. Guys, don't chase girls. Chase God. And if you see a young lady trying to keep up, feel free to introduce yourself. Is that powerful or not? Man, chase after God. And when you find someone else chasing after God, that's when you make the connection. The best thing you can do is build that relationship with him. And then let's deal with said in, you know, the first six verses. Now, wives, you might feel like Peter's a little bit um, unfair because he spends six verses on the wives and only one verse on the men. Sorry about that. Now, why is that going on? Because listen, Christianity had introduced a whole new world to wives. 
They were living in a place that was respectful, where they had freedom. They weren't just an object. They weren't just home to keep the house and to make babies. They were now man's equal. And and, and so what he's having to counsel women is in this new freedom, how do you behave? Let me ask you a few questions. First of all, analyze your action. Wives, are you being submissive? Now, that's a word in our culture we're, we're very uncomfortable with, but there's no question, he says, that a wife is to be submissive to her husband. Now, please pay close attention to that. That is not about value. He's not saying men are more valuable than women. It's simply about rank and order and organization. The word submissive literally means to rank under. And just like in chapter 2, it says Jesus was submissive to God, In 1 Corinthians 11, the man is submissive to Jesus. The order is then the woman is submissive to her husband. You see, and it's all about love. Because this is is about leadership. And I really truly believe that the scriptures teach male leadership in the home and the church. Now, do I think we have taken that too far at times? Or that sometimes we've used male leadership to mean male dictatorship, which is awful. But it is there. But that leadership is about love. Why did Jesus submit to his father? Because he loved him and he trusted him. Why did Jesus submit to the cross? Because he loved us. And when we're talking about submission, the Bible is not a dictatorial thing. It's not, let me be the boss here. It's let me protect you and help you and love you. And in some sense in marriage, it's mutual. Ephesians 5.21 says we are to submit to one another. There are times where both parties submit. But in Ephesians 5.22, he says in a very special way, the wife is to submit to her husband as the husband submits to God. So women, I want to remind you today that this is a command, not to be abused, but a command. And don't say, you know what, I'll respect him when he finally gets respectable. No, he says you do it now. Or I will submit to him when he actually starts making some good decisions around here. No, he says, you start that way. So he also says here, watch your adornment. Oh, I love this. Where is your beauty? Now, you know, it sounds like Peter's against jewelry and against makeup and all those kind of things. Thank God he's not. What she's trying to say is, where does your... um, Where does your real beauty come from? Are you working more on your physical appearance than you're working on your inside? He's saying real beauty can't be found at Lululemon or makeup at Sephora or jewelry at Marguerite's. It's found from a gentle and quiet spirit on the inside. And I ask our wives today, are we being obedient of seeking true beauty? That beauty lasts forever. And then one more question here is check your attitude. Is it gentle? You hear what Peter's saying is, you don't need to nag. You don't need to preach. You don't need to criticize. This is what he says is so powerful about this gentle, submissive wife. She can win a non-believing husband over. Listen to this. Without a word. Man, that's powerful. Okay. Men in verse 7, he does come to us too. And um, listen to what he says to us. He gives some strong commands to husbands. Let me read verse 7 again. 
so we'll hear this very clearly. What's he saying to us? He's saying, likewise, just like Jesus, husbands, live your wives in un- live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. That's maybe just one verse, but it's pretty powerful. I see three commands here. Men, pay close attention. Number one, be present. That's the word there. Dwell with, live with. He says you need to be physically present in your relationship. You need to be together. You see, for Roman men who are used to just leaving their wife at home and doing whatever activity they wanted to, this was revolutionary. And for some of us men who think, well, I can just go play and do and whatever I want to without bringing my wife involved, this is revolutionary also. You need to be present. We say, well, I give my wife a lot of quality time. Well, that's nice. But every study about quality time would tell you that quality time is quantity time. That to really have good time together, you need extended periods of time together. We need to be present. Second command is we need to be understanding. We need to take the time to know our wives, their needs, their desires. It's a bad thing when you've been married for years and years and your wife says something, you go, I never knew you felt that way. You see what Paul says is we need to to treat our wives, I love the way he put this, in an understanding way. What are the keys there? The keys are to ask a lot of questions. I'd be interested in what's going on in your wife's life. You remember when you were dating? How you'd have these incredible conversations and you wanted to know everything about her. I remember when Stephanie and I were first dating, we, our first seven months, we were long distance. And we would probably talk on the phone every night for two or three hours. You just couldn't get enough. But, but what happens, guys, when we get married and all of a sudden we stop wanting to know. We stop asking the questions. You got to ask the questions. Interesting, what's going on in her, in her inside? We also just got to learn to listen well, Right? I mean, really listen. How many of you men have a hard time listening? Just go ahead and raise your hand. I've got a bunch of liars in here. Yes, we have one in the back. Thank you very much. All right. Oh, Jeremy. Okay, good, good. I, I believe that one. Okay, we, 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 we all have a hard time listening, don't we? I, I don't know how many times I'll be caught up on something on TV or reading some book, and Stephanie will come in, and she'll say something, and it, it certainly appears I'm not listening well. And then she'll say, would you repeat what I've just said? And here's the bad thing about it. Normally, I can repeat every word verbatim. But normally, that never makes her happy. Because she's not asking me just to repeat the words she said. She's asking me, did you really listen to what I said? Did you care? we got to listen. I like the story of the husband. Wife comes home. He's watching Sports Center on ESPN. She tries to interrupt him with a little conversation. And um, finally, he's not listening very well. And so she says, honey, I read something today said that men use 2,000 words and women use 4,000 words a day, which is probably believable, right? And then he said, he just sort of offhandedly said, why is that? And she said, it's probably because women have to repeat everything they say two times, Right? And so, guys, if we're going to be who we need to be, and Peter's saying who we need to be, we must learn to listen. And listen with understanding. 
Best thing in our marriage was the day we finally stopped arguing about a certain topic that we still wouldn't agree on today. And we said, okay, baby, Stephanie, you tell me what I'm thinking. I'm going to tell you what you're thinking. And though we never agreed, we at least understood each other. And understanding is revolution. Most of us aren't looking for our spouse to agree with us on everything. That's unrealistic. What we do actually want is someone to go, I understand why you feel that. I understand what I did made you feel that way. And I'm very sorry. And then one more thing to men, be respectful. He says to show honor, to protect our wife. Because there's got to be a level of respect and honor in our marriage. In fact, listen closely to what I'm about to say. If you study about marriage, marriages are not in trouble because you have arguments. Everybody does. I, I cannot stand when I hear someone say, well, we've never had an argument in our marriage. You're a liar. Okay? I, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. But that's not the problem, guys. The problem is not that you disagree or you even have arguments. The problem, listen for this word, is when you show contempt to your spouse. When it's not just disagreeing, it's almost ridicule. That's when you know we got to wake up and we got to do something better. Now, men, if you're struggling with what Peter said, I want to remind you what Paul said, because this is the standard. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, listen, men, listen to me. If we will keep that up, I think this whole idea of submission is not going to be a big issue to our wives. When they see that kind of love, I remember a, a small group of men in this church here, maybe 20 years ago, who started meeting weekly over coffee just to apply that verse, love your wife as Christ loved the church, and it was revolutionary. Now, Peter does give a warning to all of us on this, and it makes some sense. Do this so that nothing will stop your prayers. Now, first of all, I believe that Peter assumes that husband and wives pray together. And if I could give you a practical piece of advice about your marriage that I think would change things immediately today, is go home and pray together. And I, I'm not going to tell you, Stephanie and I do that every day. There are phases we go through where we pray every night together. There are phases when we slip up and we don't. But when you pray together, my friend, something happens. You begin to hear each other's hearts. You begin to understand what's going on the inside, and you bring God into the relationship. But what Peter is saying is when you don't treat each other the way you should, it's going to mess up your prayer life. We had time today, we'd go back to the book of 1 John chapter 4, where he says God is love. And he also says, you know, don't say you love God if you're not being loving towards your brothers and sisters. And if, if, if that's true, I think what Peter's saying here is don't say you're, you're, you're loving God when you're not being loving to your spouse. And Peter says it's so practical that it will mess up your prayer life. So, it's a great challenge for us. I want to I want to introduce you to something we're 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 planning here at Landmark. It's very exciting. I want to ask Jason and Katie Fur to come up if they would. We're starting a new uh, ministry called Marriage Enrichment, and um, these guys are part of this. And uh, I want them to come up here and just uh, tell us a little bit about this ministry that's starting this fall. Um, uh, I'll introduce you to quite a few couples in just a moment, but Jason and Katie are, are one of these couples and, that are working and being trained in this. Jason, just tell us a little bit about this ministry. 
Okay, um, the marriage enrichment ministry, um, the leadership of this church thought that we needed to start something back up um, because marriages are a vital part of this church. Um, without strong marriages, um, the church is not very strong. So um, we'll start this fall. We'll offer one in the fall and one in the winter um, to start with. We're not extremely sure on the uh, curriculum yet. We're still ironing that out, but it's going to look like probably six couples, including, I mean, eight couples, including the uh, facilitators. So um, but we'll use practical biblical um, stuff to work through marriages, to you know, try to improve our marriage and strengthen our marriage. So um, looking forward to it, and uh, we really hope this is, will help strengthen some of our marriages in the church. Now, this is not exactly marriage counseling. No, it's just a group of people with some folks a little bit further down the line that can help you. Uh, Katie, I'm going to go to you for this question is, in your experience in marriage, why is this kind of ministry needed? Um, marriage is hard. Marriage is What'd difficult. Say? Say marriage again? is very hard. It's Anybody very difficult. <laughs> not being married to me. No, not being married <laughs> to you. It's, it's Jason, I got some stories I could tell about you, brother. <laughs> oh, I know. Okay. It, you know, and I think that Satan loves us to uh, loves to tell us whenever we're in the middle of difficulty, when we're in the middle of learning how to be unselfish, that it shouldn't be this hard. But um, sometimes it is, and whether we say it to our spouse or not. We are counting on the other person to show us Jesus, and there's no one else who can replace that person in your marriage. It's, it's down to the two of you, um, and when we get to the end of this life, this is, this is an adventure. This is a journey that we're on here. This is not our home, um, and our spouse goes. I think that we would all want to say, I gave it all that I had. I gave myself to them. I love them like I should, and I don't know about the rest of you, but I need help with that. Um, and I think that this is something that can be very beneficial. Amen. Thank you for you put that. Jason, how would you put it? Why do you think this ministry is so needed? Well, like Katie said, I agree. Marriage is hard. Um, I hate to re- you know, compare it to a job, but it's, it's similar. Um, in your job, if you want to be successful, you have to work hard, right? Um, and in marriage, you have to work hard. We've been married 21 years. Um, not all of it's been easy, right? Especially those first couple of years were, were pretty hard for us because uh, we're so you know, stubborn, or we were so stubborn, I think we've gotten a little better. But anyway, um, marriage is hard, um, and sometimes you need others to come along with you to help encourage you um, and remind you of those things. Whether you've been married a couple months or 50 years or any, anywhere in between, we can always work on our marriages and make it stronger, and I think this marriage enrichment is going to help us do that. Amen. Well, let me do this. If you guys would just stand here on this second tier, let me call up Al and Candy Crosby. Uh, I don't know that they're here. Charlie and Gloria Gibbons were here first service. Daniel and Christy Nelson. Alan Connie Milligan. Sam and Karshla Yaus. I think Karshla's here. You've been seeing her singing today. Uh, John and Ramona Lazenby. We just have a, a few couples with us here today. A lot of them were at first service. Thank you, Daniel and Christy, being for both services. So what will happen is this fall, you'll have the opportunity to, to join one of these groups. We'll be given more information. But I don't want to wait till this fall. What I'm going to ask these three couples to do, if they would, is to go to the, the back of the worship center right now. And as we sing in just a moment, if you need some prayers over your marriage, then just go very privately to one of these couples and just say, I, I need you to pray about this. And I'm not inviting you just if there's some huge big deal going on in your marriage. There might be. But just an issue in your marriage that you think, you know, we need some help. And one of the best things we can do is just to stop and pray. Let's be reminded, though, before we sing, 
the, the foundation of everything we're talking about here is your relationship with Jesus Christ. And I want to remind you what I said earlier in this message. The best thing you can do for your marriage or your future marriage is to pursue Jesus with everything you've got. I love the question. Are you chasing Jesus? Now, here's the deal. He's chasing you. He chased you all the way to the cross. We sang a song in first service this morning with these words. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. My friends, in this crazy culture we live in, where we want to be that plant that, that comes up and changes things, we need to first of all experience the love of God. And so if today you need us to pray about your relationship with Jesus, that's core, then please come let us know. We'll do that before we walk out of here. If you need some special prayers for your marriage, go to one of these three couples across the back of the worship center. Or if today you're ready just to surrender your life and follow Jesus, meet me on this front row. Because with all of this pressure, my friends, we need each other and we need Jesus. And if we can be that plant that that comes up in the middle of that crack and shows the world a better way to live, that's the best thing we could do to change the things we hate are going on right now. So if we can help you with that, come right now while we stand and sing.